1: Relax while we lovingly drizzle the weird and wonderful science sizzle into your brain. I'm Ian Wolf. On this edition, we'll feature Dust and part one of a new series on cancer. But first up, here's the news. <music> Traditionally, hydroelectric sources use dams or waterfalls like the Niagara Falls. But an Israeli company called Leviathan has developed the tiny Benkatina turbine that's designed to tap into the potential of sewage lines running through your neighborhood, your city's wastewater treatment plant, and really any piped system with water running through it. Running water can generate electricity. So, what makes this different? Well, the turbine is smaller. It can work in low-flow situations. It adjusts to various water pressures and pulls electricity from water moving through any downhill pipes. And it's enclosed in a pipe, so it can be fitted into existing piped water systems. There are water pipes running underground for all sorts of reasons, like carrying wastewater away from factories and carrying clean water into your home. One or more of these turbines can be inserted into the piping to capture energy from the water. Another interesting application has to do with the way water loses some of its pressure when it transfers its energy to the turbine. This pressure reduction can fix leaks in a pipe system. Companies or councils that have been dragging their feet on fixing leaky pipes would have an economic inducement to reduce water waste, fix the leaks and lower the electricity bill at the same time. Green electricity from water flowing down through the pipes in your building. But can it generate power? from flashing toilets. Well, in order to get that much water flowing from such a little device, you'd need to harness the water flowing through your average city block. The Cloak of Invisibility comes one step closer. We've been following the story of how metamaterials could theoretically make a Cloak of Invisibility. And then finally last year, a real cloak of invisibility was made, but only for a very narrow range of frequencies of light. Engineers at Duke University in the journal Science suggest they have algorithms that will make it possible to design metamaterials that will cloak for specific frequencies of light. So the new device could cloak a much wider spectrum of colours, frequencies or waves of light, and will scale far more easily to infrared and visible light. The new device, which measures 20 inches by 4 inches and less than an inch high, is actually made up of more than a 1,000 individual pieces arranged in parallel rows. Each one of the 6,000 pieces is unique. Each piece is made of the same fiberglass material used in circuit boards and etched with copper. New algorithm was used to determine the shape and placement of each piece. John August tells us about what causes cancer and what part mutations and the immune system play in the development of the illness.
2: I find cancer interesting. Yes, I know people who've died of it, but what drives my interest is understanding how our body works and how it goes wrong. Cancer underlines our relationship to health and encapsulates life and death with controversy around specialists and those who challenge them. It's a controversial topic, I'm going to review it and try to engage with some alternative viewpoints. But regardless of what I say, if you decide to pursue it yourself, you need to do your own research and review for yourself the warnings about alternative therapies. So then, what is cancer and how does it come about? It's runaway cell growth resulting from several cell changes. First, unrestrained growth. This may involve bypassing the cell's restraining mechanisms, which normally stop continued division. Second, blood vessels are drawn into the tumour to provide nutrients, that is, angiogenesis. Lastly, the cancer needs to invade other tissue and grow past physical restraints, and it may bud or metastasize to form new tumours. Cancer cells are not necessarily dividing faster than cells which are meant to, they're just doing it regardless. Cells forming the basal layer behind the skin divide continuously and grow to replace the skin that's worn away. You have at least the start of a cancer if cells outside this layer divide at the same rate. Proto-oncogenes promote cell growth, and tumour suppression genes discourage cell growth or temporarily halt it in order to carry out DNA repair. Mutations, copying errors which take place during cell division, these distort the balance between the two genes. Left to themselves, cells can usually identify and correct errors. They normally have two copies of each gene and can draw from the intact copy. However, when cells are dividing rapidly, they have less opportunity to correct errors, and are more susceptible to cancer. It's not just the total number of divisions, but also the breathing time between them. Then there's epimutations, which change the cell's idea of its specialisation without changing the DNA sequence as such. Cells start out as stem cells, but along the way, metaphorical switches are set, so that a cell which specializes into a skin cell divides into more skin cells rather than, say, turning into a liver cell. This setting is stored as additional methyl groups which are tied to the DNA chain, which stop the synthesis of particular proteins. During the embryo's initial growth, chemical gradients prompt the attachment of these methyl groups and the DNA molecule together with its methyl groups are duplicated from that point onwards. Epimutations mean that the cell is much more willing to reproduce, though there may be further hurdles. Cells dividing in the embryo are controlled by chemical signals and other actual DNA mutations may be necessary for uncontrolled division. Most cells have a limited number of telomere chains, losing one per division. This stops continued division, but the cell can rebuild that chain. Some cells are meant for continuous division and replace those bits of the chain lost themselves. But continuous division, when they are not meant to, is what makes for cancer. Cells have a self-destruct mechanism, apoptosis, which can be triggered if the cell is too badly damaged to repair. But this mechanism may not trigger, particularly if the detection mechanism has itself been disabled. Some viruses can cause cancer. It's not that viruses deliberately cause cancer, but rather, in taking over the cell, they disable one or more of these fail-safe mechanisms. This was known in the 1970s. More recently, it has been possible to understand how some viruses promote cancer, while others are relatively benign. This understanding prompted the development of vaccines against the viruses which cause cervical cancers. At the next stage, the cell generates hormones which prompt the growth of blood vessels into the tumour. The tumour may, however, still be benign because it is physically constrained by surrounding cells. It might persist for years, only causing problems when it presses against a vital organ or blood vessel. Finally, the tumour needs to get past the surrounding cells. It may generate proteins to soften structures between the cells, similar to how a placenta attaches itself to the wall of the uterus. It may also develop an ability to bud and travel through the blood or lymph streams to another location, generating other tumors. That's how cancer develops. Cancers are divided into three general types, carcinomas, sarcomas and others. Carcinomas derive from epithelial cells. Broadly speaking, these are cells which cover surfaces, The skin, the respiratory tract, and gut, and which line glands like the breast, pancreas, and thyroid. Sarcomas derive from connective and structural tissue, such as bone cells, blood vessels, fibrous tissues, and muscle. The last category includes a grab bag of other cancers. Lymphomas and leukemias are derived from blood and bone marrow cells. Mesotheliomas derive from cells lining the abdominal cavity and the lung cavity. Gliomas derive from the glia, the most common type of brain cell after the neurons themselves. Germinomas derive from germ cells, or reproductive cells, including the teratomas, ovarian and testicular cancers. And lastly, choriocarcinomas are derived from the placenta. Mutations are crucial to cancers, and the immune system is important too, but it's not a simple relationship. We need a series of four to six mutations, with the final mutation of a single cell initiating the cancer. It can be 20 years from the first carcinogen-related mutation to the cancer itself. We induce cancer in animals through mutagens, not by suppressing the immune system. If the immune system facilitated cancers, researchers would have used it. It was originally very difficult to promote cancers. Many different approaches were tried. Even so, cancer appears more readily in short-lived animals like rodents. At least we can study cancers more easily, but we need to be cautious about extrapolating when cancer in short-lived animals is analogous to similar human cancers. The immune system is important for some cancers. AIDS disrupts the immune system enough that Kaposi's sarcoma develops, which would otherwise have been stopped. Melanoma's advance also depends on the immune system, but it has not been possible to develop a vaccine. For the immune system to identify the cancer, it must express antigens which the body recognises as foreign. As the cancer cell was originally a body cell, we need a particular set of mutations for the cancer to mark itself out as different. A cancer cell can look like a normal cell and evade detection. Mutagenic carcinogens affect cell mutations rather than the immune system, one example being smoking. One alternative viewpoint sees lung cancer from smoking resulting because you were prone to cancer. Smoking has triggered it in the lungs first, but it would have arisen elsewhere anyway otherwise. They see the immune system and, and personal health as more important than our chemical environment or genes. However, Professor Bruce Armstrong of the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital notes an increase in both total cancers and lung cancer with increased smoking in the population. Further, the greater prevalence of cancer with age seems related to the accumulation of mutations with a smaller gap to cancer status. And children born without fully operational immune systems do not rapidly develop cancers. So, it is wrong to think cancers get a foothold because the immune system is depressed. Most of the time, either you identify the cancer or you don't. The quality of the immune system will not vary. Certainly, if you have a normal immune system, exposure to a carcinogen will have caused the cancer. Miraculous recoveries, or spontaneous remissions, can occur when cancer has metastasized and surgeons remove the primary tumour for the patient's quality of life, rather than survival. The body then eliminates the smaller tumours by itself. Perhaps the immune system can attack tumours in this case, but has limited capacity. You have a metabolic battle. But with the primary tumour absent, it can make headway. Alternatively, it may have been that the primary cancer generates hormones that the secondary tumour needs, And without the primary cancer, they wither away. Other suggested causes include activation of suppressor genes, hormonal changes, other immune system responses and interference with the blood supply to the tumours. Disconcerting stories do circulate of doctors ignoring tumour disappearance. It's seen as a random event and not interesting, though you'd think it would be. You'd want to reproduce it if you could understand it, and you'd want to be sure you can't change things to make it happen. To be fair, we must distinguish between academic cancer researchers and clinical oncologists who treat cancers and may have less involvement with cancer research. But you wonder why they would then not want to feed this information into the research community.
1: Thank you, John. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Diffusion at 2scr.com. Brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network.
3: Science is fun. more rewarding life
1: and now here's Amy Bullen with an ode to dust
4: dust is something that we tend to take for granted it falls on our furniture we kick it up as we walk and we breathe it in on polluted days in other words it's a nuisance but there's also something really fascinating about dust we experience it in our everyday lives in innumerable numbers and yet many of us know nothing or very little about it. And it plays a much bigger role in our lives than we would imagine. Commonly dust's diameter is defined to be at maximum 500 micrometers. That is, a maximum diameter of half a millimetre. This dust can come from many different sources. You get dust from soil kicked up by the wind from farming, air pollution and smoke. Dust can come from animal hairs and skin cells. In fact, each human sheds about 7 million skin flakes per minute. Then there's the dust from construction, making steel and concrete and burning fossil fuels. When we drive down the road in our car, we create dust through our exhausts, tyres and brakes. We even create dust through tiny amounts of paper being shed as we read a book and from walking down the street as the soles of our shoes rub on the pavement. The very finest dust grains are actually kicked around by the vibrations of individual air molecules and could remain airborne for centuries. For such tiny particles, dust can create a lot of havoc. In large groupings, dust can create dust storms that can sweep over cities, resulting in property devastation and even death. The beginning of the dust cloud can appear as a solid wall of dust and has been measured to reach as high as 1.6 kilometers straight up. Dust storms often originate in the Sahara Desert, however that doesn't relinquish the rest of the world from their attack. NASA suggests that the dust that blocked the view at California's Death Valley National Monument in 2001 originated in China. And then there are examples like the 1983 dust storm originating in the Mali region of Victoria which covered the city of Melbourne. Perhaps given these facts you're considering how much better off the world would be without dust. The thing is though, dust is an integral part of our world and not just as an inconsequential or dangerous byproduct. For one thing, dust forms part of our clouds. Through evaporation and transpiration we get water in the atmosphere but for that water to group together into drops, whether that be drops to form clouds or larger drops for rain, we need dust particles for the water to attach itself to. Once attached, the water forms the cloud or raindrop around that dust particle. Without dust there would be nothing for the droplets to cling to and we wouldn't get clouds or rain. Dust is also responsible for some of our most beautiful sunsets. Dust and water particles are larger than the wavelength of visible light and this means that the particles don't absorb light, but instead the light bounces off them in all directions. By scattering the light, the dust particles create the glow and the variation in the shades of particularly beautiful sunsets. We don't just get dust on our planet, though. Cosmic dust forms a significant part of diffuse and reflection nebulae, and is used to form planets and in the early stages of star formation. It's a significant part of the planetary rings around Jupiter, and in producing the tails of comets. Cosmic dust particles also give rise to a phenomenon called zodiacal light, which is a faint whitish glow seen in the sky. Night sky, that is. It's responsible for 60% of the total skylight on a moonless night. There's even a theory that dust thrown up by a speeding asteroid blocked the Sun and plant growth on Earth and resulted in mass extinction of the dinosaurs. Dust's powerful stuff. Dust from outer space even finds its way onto our planet. For example, Dust from the moon has been found on Earth due, it's believed, to large meteors having struck the moon's surface. Brush the dust from your jeans, and you might just be brushing off a few particles of dust originating from the moon, Halley's Comet, or even a few particles that George Bush himself shed.
1: Thanks Amy for giving us the lowdown on dust, and that George Bush may still be clinging to your jeans. And finally... Jackie Hayes, Monica Sharma, and Derek Moore talk about supertasting.
0: How about this? I have a uh, tasty little morsel of scientific interest for you all. Uh, it turns out that Europeans and Asians have uh, slightly less sensitive uh, taste buds than the African counterparts. And uh, this is particularly relevant when it comes to bitter-tasting stuff. So, you know, all the veggies that you left on your plate that your mum tried to force you to eat, like broccoli and Brussels sprouts. I know, if you're making the same icky face as me, it's because you hate them. Uh, But basically, Europeans and Asians have only uh, only two different types of variations of this gene called TASE2R38. That's (laughs) That's Tase-2R38. <laughs> it's uh, another example of ingenious naming by those in the biological community. Uh, so it detects these disgusting chemicals. It's mostly this chemical called PTC. And uh, while Europeans and Asians only have two forms of it, apparently our African counterparts uh, have a lot more, a um, far more variation. And uh, they basically found this out recently by giving it to some hunter-gatherers in Kenya and Cameroon and seeing whether or not they made yucky faces and <laughs> spitting mm. it out.
5: <laughs> now, I, I wonder whether that has anything to do with that concept of super tasting or super tasters.
0: Oh, I've never heard of this concept.
5: Well, basically, in a, in a single population, you have tasters and you have super tasters that have uh, thousands, and more, thousands and more taste buds on their tongue than other people. And these super tasters can actually taste PTC. And I was actually uh, one of the subjects in an experiment. Are you a super taster? I am a super taster. And you will know if you're a super taster because as you're growing up, you're less likely to enjoy Brussels sprouts, alcohol, broccoli, all those kind of things because you're actually tasting it in a much more intense way than Uh, other people
1: because you can actually uh, taste it
5: you can actually taste it and you've got that many more taste buds on your tongue and whether or not you can over time desensitise these taste buds is arguable because you know I like the odd wine but um, as we all do as we all do but yes there are a number of people in the population that are these super tasters and you can actually get super different levels of sort of super tasters and I wonder if it's related to this gene
0: well, I don't think it has a well, it doesn't say here that it has anything to do with how many taste buds you have. Mm. But um certainly the um the variations that you find in the African population can taste uh very slight differences in concentration that that is not available to other people of European descent, for mm. example. Mm. But um, yeah, you wouldn't want to be a super taster and have the gene for uh, super PTC sensitivity because that would make eating really rather nasty.
5: That's right. Although they do say that in our day and age, we don't actually eat that many bitter substances. Like we have a lot of sour in our diet, sweet, salty, but we don't have a lot of bitter, especially in the Australian diet. And it's interesting because in India, they have a lot of uh, food that have that have a bitter bitter taste or a bitter aftertaste that they're quite used to and they enjoy um Ah. and that and it's actually quite healthy to have a certain level of bitterness um in your diet to balance it out but having said that there's also an evolutionary reason why we don't enjoy bitterness and that is because over time a lot of the poisonous chemicals poisonous plants actually have got bitter products in them which you know stop us from eating them and that's why I, I, i suspect and as well Pins.
0: as it being um, found, in a lot of poisonous plants. If you eat a lot of bitter stuff over time, it wrecks your thyroid function. Ah, well, there you go. Do you
1: your know thyroid that? function. What's the connection?
0: Uh, I have no idea, but it's there. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you have a if you have a healthy thyroid, then go ahead and eat bitter things. But but if you don't, <laughs> then it can damage it. Uh oh, thanks thanks for finding the one floor in my eyes, Ian. I do I do appreciate that.
1: I was just curious.
0: <laughs> no, I I'm not sure, but I do know that tasty morsel. Hmm.
1: And I guess that's one of the things where they could trace uh where the genes move hmm. in, in historical populations by where the super tasting genes went and where the bitter genes went.
5: Hmm. That would be an interesting experiment. Hmm. Something
1: if like If you're a super taster.
0: Yeah, or you, or you know where super tasters evolved. Since or we where
1: super tasters like to hang
5: out. Or you say maybe it's yeah. time to have a movie on super tasters. Or what are the favourite <laughs> foods
1: of super tasters?
0: <laughs> are you a super taster? If you're one of our fans of Diffusion and you're a super taster, or you know where super tasters like to hang out, send us an email. It's Diffusion at 2SER. That's diffusion at
1: And that's all from us in this edition of Diffusion. If you'd like to contact us, if you have feedback, comments, suggestions or wild, passionate prayers, if you'd like to contribute to Diffusion or hear your own voice passionately communicating science on radio then send an email to diffusion at 2ser.com That's diffusion at 2ser.com or subscribe to our podcast on our website www.diffusionradio.com That's www.diffusionradio.com Search us out on iTunes, look for our group on Facebook. Contributing to the program this week, Amy Bullen, Jackie Hayes, Monica Sharma, Derek Muller, and John August. I produced Diffusion in the studios of 2 Sydney. Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more Science Wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. And to take us out, here's Jonathan Coulter with I Feel Fantastic.
6: I get up early when the sleeping pill wakes me. I take a wicker pill and fill with energy. I power on hard and I check my messages. But I don't have any messages. I take a driving pill and head. Because work isn't very far. I call my phone and I check my messages, but I don't have any messages. All I know, driving on drugs feels better when their prescription. All I know, the world looks beautiful. The world looks so damn beautiful. I feel fantastic. I felt as good as how I do right now, except for maybe when I think about how I felt that day, when I felt the way that I do right now, right now. I feel fantastic, and I never felt as good as how I do right now, except for maybe when I think about how I felt that day, when I felt the way that I do right now, right now, right now. Work is anything but quiet these days, I try to mitigate my concentration aids. I can see the day unfold in front of me So I take the stairs and hit the gym The phone is ringing when I get to my desk we'll a the stinging's now a sharp pain in my chest So I take a calm the next and just chill And then it's time for lunch again, all I know Work is easy when you don't stress out about deadlines All I know is to take my medicine I always take my medicine I feel fantastic, and I never felt as good as how I do right now. Except for maybe when I think about I felt that day. When I felt the way that I do right now, right now I feel fantastic, and I never felt as good as how I do right now. Except for maybe when I think about I felt that day. When I felt the way that I do right now, right now. over but I can't stay to work late gotta leave and get ready for my second date with a pretty girl that I met at the pharmacy right in the prescription line I take a pill for my social anxiety I get a table and a nice bottle of should bleed now it's getting late and there's still no sign of her I have another glass of wine all I know is the wine lasts longer when you don't gotta share it with someone all I know is the steak tastes better when I take my steak tastes better pill Fantastic, and I never felt as good as how I do right now Except for maybe when I think of how I felt that day When I felt the way that I do right now Right now I feel fantastic And I never felt as good as how I do right now Except for maybe when I think of how I felt that day When I felt the way that I do right now Right now Right now